Welcome back to Bible Time. We're glad to be back from Yankton, South Dakota, and grateful for what God did there. We're going to be posting the messages from the tent meetings up there um, throughout this week, Lord willing. So there will be kind of a um, a lot of um, extra messages going up this week. You can be looking for those. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 6, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, please teach us. Please drive back hell, bind Satan, and Lord God, expose, Lord, the false apostles of this world, Lord, and help us to understand biblical apostleship. In Jesus' name, amen. The message today is titled, Just What We Prayed, Biblical Apostleship and the Evidences Thereof. We have many evidences of biblical apostleship here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to try and rightly divide the word of truth. With God's help, we will succeed to rightly divide the word of truth. I do not believe that you have to pretend like you can't know the Bible. I'm not into that. I believe that the Word of God clearly teaches that Jesus Christ opened the understanding of the disciples. It also clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit of God illuminates the minds of believers and that we have an anointing from God to know the things of God according to 1 John. So through the Bible, rightly divided, Scripture taken with Scripture, any man, woman, or child who seeks out truth can find truth in the Word of God. Definite, authoritative, dogmatic truth from the Word of God that you can stand on come hell or high water. And that phrase, by the way, comes from Isaiah 43. How about that? Come hell or high water. Um, In any case, you can look that up later. But God has given us truth, and you can find truth. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, everybody has their own spin. Everybody has their own ideas. The first, the, the best way to get into heresy and become a heretic is to come to the Bible with a spirit of pride. And the second best way to become a heretic is to not only come with a spirit of pride, but then to also come with predisposed ideas that you have gotten from man instead of from God, and then to try and make the Bible say what you want it to say or what your preachers that you like make it say instead of just letting the Bible define itself. My allegiance is to Christ, not to man. I, my, I love my pastor, I love my church, but my allegiance is to Christ, not to man. It's not to my church, it's not to my pastor. My judgment will be before the judgment seat of Christ. My judge is Christ, and I will be judged for what I say every idle word and what I preach and what I teach on the Bible time um on the Bible Time podcast, as well as um, just to my family alone, as well as what I preach and teach in the tent ministry and in churches, whenever the doors are open for me to preach in churches, I will give account to God Almighty for what I preach, and I must answer to Him. Therefore, I must go back to the Bible time and time again and seek truth from the Word of God and try to rightly divide the Word of God. As we noted in um, up at the tent, if I knew I was wrong about something, I'd change it. So I'm pretty sure I'm right. And you ought to be pretty sure you're right. You ought to read the Bible and know the Bible and know what it says, and you ought to be pretty sure you're right. 
But even though we know, we think, we believe that we're right, we should always have a humble heart towards God and be ready to change if the Bible doesn't exactly line up with what we say. You see, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll get three-fourths of the story from the Bible, or we'll get five-sixths or seven-eighths of the story, and we'll have all of this, all of these scriptures lined up and rightly divided. There's a particular issue I'm not going to even mention right now that I'm struggling with right now because I know deep down in my heart, and it's unrelated to what we're studying right now, but I know deep down in my heart that I have some predisposed ideas that do not line up perfectly with God's word. And it is a a real battle for me. I'm really struggling with it and praying over it every time I study it and trying to bring my heart into submission to God's word, even though it feels like I'm letting go of something that that has been an anchor for me doctrinally, and I'm trying to just hold on to it. Now, some of you are thinking I'm going off the deep end. Just keep listening. And when I do, you'll be um, you'll be happy and can do your little happy dance. But Lord willing, by His grace, I'm not going off the deep end. Hopefully, I'm just getting more like Christ um, as I learn more about Christ and Lord more about His Word. Um, we have the old saying: "We're still a work in progress." Unfortunately, most most people, fundamentalists especially, who will gladly say, I'm still a work in progress when it comes to the fact that they like to watch dirty movies and they like to indulge in beverages that are alcoholic, which God condemns, and they like to do all kinds of other wicked things and they say, I'm still a work in progress. They never apply it to their doctrine. Have you ever noticed that? They won't apply that verse to their doctrine. I'm still a work in progress in my in my life. I'm still a work in progress in my anger problem. I'm still a work in progress in my lust problem. I'm still a work in progress in my greed problem, in my covetous problem. I'm still a work in progress in my lack of surrender to God and unwillingness to be a part of God's work in my life. But when it comes to doctrine, honey, I've got it all figured out. I know where it's all at, and I know everything about the Bible that there is to know and I'm not going to change for anybody um, or anything and and I'm absolutely beyond reproach and unable to even have anything discussed with me because though I have all kinds of sin problems that I'm still a work in progress in, I can't possibly have any doctrinal or theological error. It's impossible. That's the kind of attitude that we get, and that's a, that's a horrible attitude. Once you get in that position, there's not much help for you. The Bible says, A sluggard is wiser in his own conceits than seven men that can render a reason. You get somebody in that condition where they're unwilling to study the Word of God, unwilling to be challenged in their faith on what the Bible says, and you have a spiritual sluggard who becomes wiser in his own conceits than seven men that can render a reason. And it wouldn't matter if this seven most holy, most godly, most most used men of God that had ever lived stood before him with open Bibles and tried to reason with them from the scriptures, that man's not going to change because he's holding to his denominational lines. He's holding to what he learned in Bible school. He's holding to what he's preached for all those years, and he's not willing to back down and say, I missed it on anything. And that's a terrible condition to be in. Our job, our goal in this whole thing is to get into what the Bible says and let the Bible define the Bible. Now here we have the apostles of Christ in 1 Thessalonians 2.6. And we're going to look at this concept of apostle for a little bit. And then we'll get into some evidences of a biblical apostleship here in 1 Thessalonians um, a little bit further down the road. Now this word apostle means sent. 
like the word Pentecost, this word has been abused and redefined in our day by charlatans preying on the biblically ignorant and biblically illiterate. That means people that biblically know nothing that they should know or not enough and people that biblically are unread. They are unlearned and they do not understand the Bible. They don't read the Bible. That's what I'm talking about today. You can be a rocket scientist and be biblically ignorant. You can land a man on the moon and be biblically illiterate. All it takes is neglect and living your life according to the course of this world and you will ignore the Bible and be biblically ignorant. You can be the president of the United States and be biblically ignorant. You can be the pope sitting on his throne in the Vatican in Rome and be biblically illiterate and ignorant, which has proven to be the case um, throughout the last couple millennia. Now, Pentecost means 50. It is a feast from the Old Testament law that takes place 50 days after Passover. And if I got my number mixed up there, then you can correct me um, um, from the Bible because I didn't go back and get those numbers. Uh, I pulled that from memory. And all that the word means is 50. The power of that special day of Pentecost... That special day when Pentecost was fully come, when the Feast of Pentecost was fully come, there in Acts chapter 2, there was a special outpouring of power from on high that Jesus Christ had promised. Do you remember he said, Tarry ye at Jerusalem until ye receive power from on high. And he said, it won't be very long, not many days hence. And they waited there at Jerusalem and the power from on high fell upon them. The word just means 50. Now, um, many people that claim to be Pentecostals, what, what is that? A 50 A 50-est? A 50 Or what? A 50-what? The, they don't usually claim to have all of the manifest evidences of the day of Pentecost on that day. Now, I've met some that have claimed to experience what the church at Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, that wonderful day in the book of Acts experienced, but whenever I dig down deeper, I have yet to meet one that will even dare to claim that all of those attendant phenomena fell on them. I was speaking with one dear lady on her porch, and I was trying to share the gospel gospel with her and here she was she was out of church out of fellowship with God's people she was not following Christ she had no witness to speak of no light and and I'm not saying this to boost myself because I'm a nobody as well but here I was on her porch with a Bible and a John Romans knocking her community that um, honey she could have been knocking herself the doors of her own community telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ but she wasn't and I'm not saying that makes me super special it doesn't but there I was knocking her door and knocking the doors of her neighbors and she wanted to detain me and take much of my time and would have taken much more if I'd allowed her to tell me that I was missing a special blessing of Pentecost and that until I received this special blessing that she had defined with extra biblical terms by the way listen to me today that I was a immature and half-formed Christian. So here I was in a Bible-believing church trying to serve Jesus and follow the Lord Jesus Christ being rebuked by a woman who was bitter and out of fellowship with God because I had not spoken in her version of tongues. That's what it all boiled down to. And so I said, ma'am, when you spoke in tongues, did you get the flame of fire as well? 
And she muttered and tried to mumble and move around and avoid the subject. And I kept asking her and asking her, did you get the fire? I said, I said, ma'am, I'm not going to doubt that you had some kind of experience and that you spoke in some kind of tongue. I'm not going to even cast doubt on that. What I am going to ask you today is, did you get the flame of fire over your head when you spoke with tongues? And she would not and could not answer. Finally, she blurted out, no, I didn't. But you don't have to. And I said, ma'am, you are telling me that I need to get the power of Pentecost. And that if I get the power of Pentecost, I'll get this attendant phenomena of tongues. And yet you have not gotten the flame of fire. So I would have to submit to you, ma'am, that you have not gotten the power of Pentecost. If you base that off of the attendant phenomena after the miracles and the signs that happen on the day of Pentecost, she wasn't too happy with me. And I tried to work with her from some time. I hope that she has um, given up this horrible religious pride, gotten right with God, humbled herself, and gotten in a Bible-believing church today. It's unlikely. Maybe someday she'll listen to this. And if she does, I hope that she'll take this gentle rebuke and... um, get right with God. Or if she has gotten right with God, that she'll send me an email and let me know. I'd love to hear that. But here she is outside of church, bitter against God and trying to puff herself up and build herself up with some kind of partial manifestation that she's claiming from this day of Pentecost and misusing the word Pentecost, abusing the word Pentecost, redefining the word Pentecost to mean something it doesn't mean. And in like manner, people pick and choose aspects of biblical apostleship and try to use a title that sounds so theological and so high and so powerful to try to get you to submit to them. And that's what this whole thing with that with that aspect of this tongue speaking is all about, is to try and give you some kind of means of lording it over other people with your super spirituality. What was the purpose of tongues in Acts chapter 2? It was the pro- proclamation of the word of God in the languages of the people that were there present? What was the result of the use of tongues in Acts chapter 2 but the salvation of thousands of souls who believed the gospel that they heard in their own language? The use of tongues in Acts 2 has nothing to do with a prayer language. As one person said, one preacher said, he was talking to a Pentecostal friend of his and he said, are you... um, Do you speak in tongues after the manner of Acts chapter 2, where every man heard them speak in their own language, or do you claim to speak in tongues after the use of the unknown tongue in 1 Corinthians 14? And that preacher said, well, of course, 1 Corinthians 14. And the preacher looked at him and he said, you're not a Pentecostal at all, you're a Corinthian. And that Pentecostal preacher said, friend, I've never heard that before. Well, I wish they'd hear it more often because that's what they are. They're Corinthians. And listen to me today. If you're listening to me and you're one of these, then that's what you are. You're Corinthian. And and if you have friends that are into this, you're just a Corinthian. What were the Corinthians? He said, Paul said, I cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. He says, when the time came for you to have meat, you had to have milk. And I've had to feed you with milk and not with meat. These people are so caught up in external manifestations and signs and wonders that they've become carnal. And they haven't been able to stomach the sound doctrine and the meat of God's word. So they're basing their entire spirituality and their entire denominational rules and ideas off of external manifestations that can be faked. 
And now some people are ready to throw stones at me, but I love you anyway, and I'll continue to bless you and pray for you and bless you with truth as often as I get a chance. Now, um, here, go to Revelation 2, 2. Go to Revelation 2 and verse 2. We're looking at biblical apostleship. The word apostle means sent. The word apostle in its basic definition means sent. Now, um, before we look at a biblical definition of apostle, which we'll get to, I want to take note here in Revelation 2-2 that you have this church of Ephesus. Under the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. So here we find something that God is commending this fundamental church of Ephesus. Do you hear me today? Now the Bible didn't say it was a fundamental church, but look at the description of that church. Thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They've got good godly standards from the Bible. They work hard. They're preaching the gospel. They're laboring in the word. They're patient in tribulation. They're being persecuted for righteousness sake. As the Bible says, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And they can't and they try them which say they are apostles and are not. And as found them liars. So the church at Ephesus had preachers who were willing to stand up and call down the false apostles and call them liars. And he said, and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Verse four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate and that's another evidence that the church at Ephesus was a fundamental Bible believing church because the Nicolaitans doctrine is that the um, clergy rules over the laity and one of the aspects and actually one of the doctrinal distinctives of the group of people that theologically are baptistic in their theology is that they believe in the doctrine of the autonomy of the local church meaning that no denomination can rule over a local church biblically. In fact, the whole concept of a Southern Baptist denomination is an oxymoron. Do you hear me today? And I have known many people who are very offended with the Baptist denomination, the Southern Baptist denomination, and, and therefore they um, want to repudiate the whole concept of Baptist. And I have still other friends, many friends, who recognize the doctrinal distinctives of autonomous local bodies of believers who believe in believers' baptism, etc., and do not believe in any group's authority over the local church. They believe in the biblical pastor, etc., and they consider themselves Baptist in theology and are separate from the Southern Baptist denomination. That's kind of a side note. I have a lot of good friends in such circumstances. And these people often will be these that hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Um, They hate uh, being 
having their churches and their doctrines being ruled over by some headquarters somewhere. And that is a biblical position to take. Jesus said here, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which things which I also hate, said Jesus. But in the midst of the warfare, in the midst of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the midst of everything that was going on there, the church at Ephesus had left their first love. And I want to say something to my dear fundamentalist friends, um, of which I count my, it counted an honor to be allowed to fellowship and to um, preach sometimes in some of the, these churches, of these fundamentalist churches. I thank God for them. But I want to say to you today, there's a real danger here, and I'm afraid this has happened across the board in fundamentalist circles, and that is that we have left our first love. We have the works, we have the labor, we have the patience, and we're ready to fight. We're ready to tell the truth. We're ready to call out the liars. We're ready to tell people the truth and the fact that we're ready to call out the false apostles and the false prophets, and we're ready to call out... And to, and to cast down the lies and attack the strongholds of Satan. But so often we've left our first love. You can get so busy fighting falsehood that you leave your first love. And I want you to know something today before we go any further in this study of biblical apostleship. First of all, I love you. And if you are a fundamentalist, Bible-believing, if maybe you're a Baptist today. I've, I've heard of many um, old-fashioned Methodists that still preach the Bible and that have the autonomy of the Lord local church and that baptized believers upon their confession of Christ as Lord. There, you can be part of different groups and still have these basic tenets and ideas. And I want to say to you today, you can grow so busy fighting falsehood that you leave your first love. And before we get any further in looking at biblical apostleship today, I want to exhort you about this and tell you the most important thing of all is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get caught up fighting cults and fighting falsehoods, and that becomes the drive of your life, you will begin to generate what the Lord, um, what I have called anti-doctrines. Anti-doctrines are doctrines that are made to retaliate or rebuff false doctrine, and they're unneeded. The Bible rebuffs false doctrine all by itself. But what will happen is over time, men will latch on to some scriptures out of context and begin to use parts of verses and parts parts of chapters and to um, in their fight and their battle against heresy and against lies, they will begin to use the wrong verses to preach the right doctrine. Do you hear me today? And they will begin to use the right verses out of context without balancing them in their context in order to fight false doctrine. And what will end up resulting is an anti-doctrine, a doctrine that is no longer a doctrine of the Word of God, but is now a doctrine of men's commandments and men's traditions because it has failed to maintain its context and its place in the Holy Scriptures. And then as you go on doing battle, next thing you know, you will associate this anti-doctrine so closely with truth that you will break fellowship over people who do not follow your little modes of your anti-doctrine. And this subject of apostleship is one of those things that we in our fundamentalist circles have built an anti-doctrine around. And all we need to do is just go to the Bible and let the Bible define itself and rightly divide itself and then it's the end of the whole struggle. 
But if you want the cheap and easy route, you've got to chop, build up for yourself an anti-doctrine to try and um, have a couple one-liners that wipe out the whole enemy. We always want the one-shot win. We always want to just be able to say one quick little phrase and wipe the field with our enemies. But only Jesus Christ is going to win the victory with one word from his mouth. The rest of us have to go by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God has commanded us to use the whole counsel of Scripture and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We are required by God to study, to show ourselves approved, a laborer that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means understanding time and judgment, knowing what place, knowing who's being spoken to, knowing how to apply the word of God in the different times, the different seasons, and the different areas of life in a way that is consistent with the whole council of God and that takes work. That's slow work, it's patient work, and it is often very hard work. But it's what we are commanded to do and it's what we must do if we would be faithful to the word of God. So Revelation 2.2 um, commends the church at Ephesus for trying them which say they are apostles and are not. I want to also just warn you today, beware the deadness of perfect theology. Beware the deadness of perfect theology. I've never met anyone who had it all figured out that was walking in close communion with God. Did you catch that? I've met a lot of people who had it all figured out. They knew all the answers for everything. They had one-liners for everything anybody would say, and they had their little um, quick um, quick draw guide. They can pull out two verses and shoot down everybody else's opinion about everything, but I've never met anybody in that condition who had a close communion with God. Pride separates us from God, and God will usually not let us fully comprehend everything, even if we were capable, because we would be proud and fall um, no, um, as Satan himself did. Better to be wrong about something and in love with God than write about everything and your love wax cold. Now, some of you cringed right there. Some of you about had a hernia. And I'd say you better go back and check your love with God and your love meter with God because it's better to be wrong about some things and in love with God than right and your love waxing cold. Obviously, we should all be right about everything all the time. How many of you are positive that you know everything there is to know about God? You're right about all of it. Well, then why are you listening? Go ahead and shut. Oh, oh, to prove me wrong. I understand. Might as well just shut it off and waste your time. I say wrong stuff all the time. You don't need to prove me wrong. It happens naturally. Second Peter 3, 2. 2 Peter 3, 2. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So as we look at the biblical apostleship here, um, the apostle Peter says that he wrote this epistle to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And then he placed the words of the apostles on the same level as the prophets. And that is as God inspired scripture. So this would mean that an apostolic commandment in the word of God is equivalent excuse me is equivalent to the very word of God equivalent to the very word of God now this is how we know the 66 books of the Bible are Bible this doctrine of apostleship is extremely important do you hear me today
Young man, how do you know that all the books in the Bible are supposed to be in the Bible? How do you know, young lady, that they didn't miss a book somewhere? How do you know what's Bible and what's Bible? And the doctrine of the canonization of the word of God and the reality of the canonization of the word of God all rests on biblical apostleship. And a failure to understand biblical apostleship will lead to a breakdown in the authority of the word of God. Now, the apostles of the Lord and Savior... Have, this, have the potential to speak not as the oracles of God, but to speak the oracles of God. This is a terrible responsibility. Anyone who can speak God's word must be obeyed. And if they happen to speak God's word, you have to obey what they said. So this means you better be able to tell the difference between a true and a false apostle. You better be able to have a biblical answer for those who say they are apostles and are not. Was Joseph Smith an apostle? I'm asking you today, was Joseph Smith an apostle who founded the Mormon church? How about Pope Innocent? Who's an apostle and who is not an apostle? If you run into an apostle that is one of these apostles of the Lamb, of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you run into one of those apostles, you are duty-bound to obey the commandments of the apostles. This is why this, this whole subject is so touchy. Do you hear me today? If an apostle walks into your church and begins to speak God's word prophetically, giving new revelation of the will of God, you are required by God to obey that apostle. So you better know how to tell a true apostle from a false apostle. Let's go to 2 John verse 7 quickly. Go to 2 John. Here he says um, in verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. We are required by God to judge righteous judgment and to be able to discern between truth and error and to be able to reject deceivers and liars and antichrists. Do you hear me? You are required by God to be able to know the difference. <coughs> you better get in your Bible and know your Bible if you're going to know the difference. Jude is written mostly about false prophets. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2. Jude, the entire book of Jude is worth studying if you want to understand some of the um, aspects of false prophets and false apostles. Um, 2 Peter 2, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. And bring upon bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So here, Peter is giving warning that within the church, the apostle Peter is giving warning that from inside 
the church will arise false prophets from inside the church. Jesus, Peter said this, Peter the apostle, the great false church, the Roman Catholic church claims succession from Peter and they are the false prophets that he was warning about. What an irony. And they don't, they, they have this thing where they feel like the church has this infallibility. And if anybody is part of the church and ordained by the church, that they're basically infallible and can do no wrong. Peter taught the exact opposite. Peter taught that the church would be the birthplace of heresy and false religion. Do you hear me today? That from within the very church would come false prophets. This is Bible. That's what God taught. And then you see that all throughout the history of the church. And Jesus also taught about this with the wheat and the tares, that the tares would grow up with the wheat. Go to 2 Corinthians 10, and let's look at some of the aspects of an apostle's ministry or, or some of the Ways to tell an apostle when you see one. Second Corinthians 10. And here, um, Paul is going to beseech them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. And he's trying to speak to these men to not look on the outward appearance. He says, you're going to have to get deeper than the outside. If you think an apostle is is the guy flying a jewel-encrusted Learjet, and he's wearing his fancy five-piece suit that costs $6,000, and dancing around on the stage doing signs and wonders, you've already been deceived. Paul said, I was base in your presence. I was base. I was low. I was humble. He beseeched them through the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And he told told them not to look on things through the outward appearance. He says, he told them they were being foolish, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. He said, you're not wise. And he says, but we will not boast of things without our measure. You know, so many people that uh, claim to be apostles today, they run around boasting of their power and their authority as apostles. And yet Paul said, we're not going to do that. One of the marks of apostleship is humility. One of the marks of apostleship is not usurping authority or lording it over the flock. He said, says we stretch not ourselves beyond our measures though we reach not unto you for we are come as far as unto you also in preaching of the gospel of Christ not boasting of things without our measure that is of other men's labors Um, so you have these apostles today that run into churches and take over churches and boss the pastor around and they boast in another man's labors Paul said that wasn't what we would do in verse 11 would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly And indeed, bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin virgin to Christ. So here he says that he came and he preached the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. And the mark of his apostleship was his faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he says, these other guys that have come, if any of them preach another Jesus or another spirit whom you've not received or have another gospel which you have not accepted, if they can give you something better than salvation by grace through faith, the free gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast, then you might well bear with him. 
And he said to them, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. I would not charge you, he said. I came and freely ministered to you. I robbed other churches. Also, he said, when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. And we know as well that Paul sometimes would work with his own hands to supply his necessities and of those that were with him. And he was not afraid of hard work. You meet an apostle who's afraid of hard work and you've met yourself a false apostle. He's got to be carried around in his golden chair and have people throw um, throw things at his feet and throw themselves at his feet and kiss his ring. You've met yourself a false apostle. And look at what it says here in our text in first in second Corinthians 11, 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And again, that ties us back to what Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruit. Here Paul tells us that there are false apostles, false ministers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, whose end shall be according to their works. So while they claim to be apostles, they live in a manner that is ungodly. He says these are false apostles. Now, he says here, I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. And he says, seeing that in verse 18, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourself are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. All of these are, are evidences of a false apostle. He will do all of these things to exalt himself, to take of you, to devour you, to smite you on the face, to belittle you, and while exalting himself. He says here, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So he moves on to pedigree. And he shows, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Now let's look at this today and let's get real right now. And let's get real in a biblical way about what the Bible is saying that Paul is giving as evidence of his apostleship here in 2 Corinthians. He says here, I are they ministers? of Christ I speak as a fool I am more in labors more abundant and that is labor for the gospel whether that is working with his own hands preaching the gospel walking across the nations running from his persecutors preaching the gospel instant in season and out of season it goes on it says in stripes above measure what was the last apostle that paraded across America that was willing to show the men in that place the scars across his back from the stripes he has received for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? He says, in prisons more frequent. He says, I'm a jailbird. I'm going to show you I'm an apostle. I'm a jailbird. I've gone to jail frequently. For the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for my false, not for my tax evasion. Do you hear me today? Not for my tax evasion, not for selling snake oil to people and getting um, brought before the courts for a bunch of scams that I was involved with, but for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, in death's oft. 
He says, I've died a few times. I've died and come back from the dead. God sent me back to finish the job that he sent me to start. I've died often, he said. <clears throat> Remember when they stoned him and drug him outside the city and left him for dead? And those guys knew how to kill people with rocks. Don't let yourself get fooled there. They didn't think he was dead because they had hit him a few times and he passed out. These guys knew what dead people looked like and they knew what it took to kill a man. And they did it to Paul. And he was crushed and he was broken and he was bleeding and he was obviously evidently dead and declared dead by professional executioners. Do you hear me today? And they drug him out the city and he rose up from there where they drug him and he went back into the city to preach again. So you want to claim you're an apostleship, let's try it. How many rocks do you need to get hit with? These guys walk around with their bodyguards. And the Lord hasn't given me any, anything to shout with today. I'm not going to shout, but boy, you could shout over that. They run around with their bodyguards. They won't walk into a place unless they've got a full security team. Everywhere they go, they've got their little um, men walking around beside them, their little pet Lord help me not to get in the flesh. All of their all their all their pet men walking around beside them with their guns loaded all over their bodies and they're walking around taking money from people acting like big shots and Paul says I've died oft. Proof of my apostleship is my oft death of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes save one 39 stripes from the Jews five different times. Have a full-grown man strip you of your clothes down to your buttocks and then take a rod and beat you on your back. If they did it according to Old Testament law, they would make him lie down. A lot of times they'd tie ropes to the hands and the feet of the man and four strong men would grab the ropes and jerk them in different directions and make the man slam face first into the ground with his hands and his feet spread eagle. Far apart, and then a full-grown man would take a great big long stick, take it behind his back like he's getting to drive a tent stake with a sledgehammer, and swing it up over his head and bring it down, whack, on that man's back. And 39 such stripes, and Paul took five beatings like that. He says, here's my proof of apostleship. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, and maybe those five times were with whips. I don't know, because there he says, thrice I was beaten with rods. He says, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weird and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness i never met one of these guys he said beside those things that are without that cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches who is weak and i am not weak who is offended i burn not if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. And then he goes on in chapter 12. We're going to summarize this. And he starts to speak of visions. And he says that he was caught up into the third heaven, but he wouldn't even speak in first person. And he said, I heard things that were not lawful to be uttered. Here's a mark of an apostle. He's humble about his so-called visions. 
Paul had visions, and he was taken up into the third heaven, and he wouldn't even talk about himself in the third person. You meet somebody strutting around, running around, telling you about all their visions, and woo, I went up to heaven, and I heard the man say this, and I heard an angel say that, and they're writing their books about what it was like in heaven and how they came back and all these things, and these guys that write about all that stuff. It's a bunch of phony baloney. You can see it by the example of Paul the Apostle here and his deep humility. And he says, of such an one I will glory, yet myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. And then he goes on to tell him about a thorn in the flesh. He had these visions. He was caught up into the third heaven. He heard things that were not lawful to be uttered. And then God gave him a thorn in his flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he said, all these great revelations cost me greatly. They cost me such suffering that I besought God thrice that this thing would be removed from me. But he said, um, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And the apostle says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am become then am I strong finally here we get to the big ones this is what everybody wants to see verse 11 we this is our third chapter from the apostle Paul dealing with the ministry of the apostle and he says here in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians I am become a fool in glory and ye have compelled me for I ought to have been commended of you for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles though I be nothing verse 12 truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds and he moves on and that's the end of the whole story three chapters about what an apostle is by the apostle Paul And in the third chapter, he gives one verse to give casual mention to the signs and wonders of an apostle. Do you hear me today? That's all anybody needs in America to convince them that they're standing in front of a real apostle. A couple signs and wonders. And Paul gives you three chapters of doctrine before he finally casually mentions the signs and wonders and mighty deeds of the apostles of of the apostle and how he did them among them and proved thereby that he was an apostle now if we go to acts chapter 1 we're going to see some more qualifications for an apostle go there quickly we're going to take our time Um, in a sense, in that we'll take as much time as it takes to get this word that God's given us today, but I want to move as quick as we can and not waste anybody's time doing it. Acts chapter 1 and verse 21, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. The backstory here is that Judas had died. Um, he'd hung himself. He fell. The rope must have broke or he just um, rotted off the rope. And he fell down in the field and his guts burst out. The Bible says there um, in the previous reading in in that same chapter of Acts. And Peter had stood up and quoted the Psalms. Let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell there. And in his bishopric let another take. This is the only apostolic bishopric that was ever attempted to succeed to another man. And here the church tries to appoint another apostle. I know some good preachers who think that this worked and that this man was the 12th apostle and took Judas's bishopric. I cannot find any biblical support for that. It says here that they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And then in chapter 214, 
Peter standing up with the eleven. So two times immediately following the appointing of, a, of Matthias, the Bible clearly, out, clearly gives us eleven apostles. There's still one missing. And the, this is very... Very clear, if you look at how many times in the Gospels, the Bible references the 12, the 12, the 12. And it says that um, this disciple with the 12, that disciple with the 12. And the way the Bible uses this language, it's very clear. If you just study Scripture with Scripture, it seems very clear to me that the, and I believe it to be the case, that this uh, uh, Matthias, though he was considered an apostle, was not one of the 12. And this brings us to a very important consideration here. Um, We see the apostles in other places in Acts, but before we get there, I want to look at Revelation 21.14. We've talked a lot about some of the different aspects of biblical apostleship, and here I want to divert and look at a special class of apostle here. Remember, apostle just means sent. Apostle just means sent. But in Revelation 21.14, it says here, um, (coughs) excuse me, And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now Jesus Christ had 12 apostles. Later he ordained 70 other that would be sent out in much the same manner and with the same instructions as the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And this is important. Jesus thereby setting an example and showing us his works that he would do and how great and manifold are his works. He ordained the 12 apostles, and there were only 12. One of them had a devil. He fell from his place. And we'll look at that here um, with a couple other references. Go back to Acts, and another one was appointed. Go to Acts 2.43 there. It says, it speaks of the apostles. In Acts um, 2.43, it says, And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And then in Acts... 4.35, go there quickly. Acts 4.35, it speaks of the apostles again, and it speaks of these people selling their possessions and laying them down at the apostles' feet. By the way, this is the primary motivation for modern apostleship, is to have access to the coffers of the churches and try and get your hands in people's money. That's most of what goes on um, under the name of apostleship today. And distribution was made, etc. And everybody knows that if you're the dis- if you're the distributor, if you're in a family and there's three kids, and mom says, "Here, here's a, a leftover donut. You kids can have it," and he hands it to one of the kids, and that kid gets to split it up. All three of those kids know a fact: when that donut breaks into three parts, the kid that's passing out the parts gets the big one, right? That's how it works. That's how carnal man is, unless they have been specifically trained otherwise. And that's the bulk of modern day apostleship. If I can get my hands in the pot and be the distributor, then I can see to it that I get the lion's share. Anyway, it goes on here um, in verse 37. They brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the bulk of modern apostleship. To get people to lay their money at your feet. But you'll see that the apostles wouldn't hardly touch it. As far as we can tell, it stayed at the apostles' feet. Until other men distributed it. And they passed, and you'll find other passages where they got men to distribute to the needs of the saints. Acts chapter 5 and verse 2, um, it says again, they laid the money at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira trying to lie to God. Acts 8 and verse 18 
Acts 8 and verse 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. So you've got a, almost every reference. There's four references in a row of, I think, the total of eight references that will be there um, of the apostles in the book of Acts. And four of them, people are laying money or giving money or offering money to the apostles. And this is the bulk of modern apostleship. Now, we have in Acts 9 the next apostle, Saul. And we know Saul's an apostle. That's absolutely undeniable. And we know that Saul had been a Pharisee through the entire ministry of Christ. And he was a witness of Christ from the baptism of John all the way through his crucifixion and resurrection. The apostle Paul was a witness, though an enemy. Judas, the friend, fell from his bishopric. He was hung. He went on to his place, the Bible says, which is perdition. And the, and the apostle Paul was ordained by God on the road to Damascus, picked by Jesus Christ himself. The 12 apostles of Christ, listen to me today, and this is important, and this is why I pick at, pick at this a little bit, and I'm willing to even dive into this discussion. The 12 apostles of the Lamb have amazing authority. They have authority to give us the scriptures. Their word is equal with the scriptures. These men were handpicked by Jesus Christ. And Matthias was not. Do you hear me today? He was picked by the church. And he was never recognized in the scriptures as an apostle. There is no place that where God calls him an apostle, but rather that he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, the apostle Paul here was picked by Christ. And we see there that he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? For sake of time, I'll give you the references for this account. Acts 9, 1 through 6 and verse 17. Acts 22, 6 through 10. Acts 26, 12 through 18 are all accounts from Paul. Three witnesses of Christ's picking and commissioning Paul the apostle. And by the way, that's what the other apostles get because the other apostles are named in a couple of the Gospels and the story of them and of their being sent is there I believe found in three of the Gospels and if I'm wrong on that I can I'll stand corrected by scripture Acts 1440 gives us a very interesting reference to apostle Acts 1440 it says which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out so here we find a man named Barnabas being listed as an apostle and if we go back to first Thessalonians we find find that Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus wrote the letter equally to the church at Thessalonica, and Paul did not quote himself as an apostle as he so often did in other epistles, but here he would include Silvanus and Timotheus, because in verse 1 he says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, and then in our text that we began with, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He mentions his whole evangelistic band as apostles. Now that these men were not apostles of the Lamb is evident because there were only 12 apostles. So we must rightly divide the Word of God and understand what's being said here by understanding the Word of God. The, the ministry of apostle is given by God to the church and there are 12 apostles of the Lamb, but there are other men who follow as the 70 followed the 12. There will be other men who also follow in the footsteps of the 12 
and preach the gospel. Now, the apostles are all just men. You've got to start there. Peter blew it as an apostle after Pentecost and had to be rebuked by Paul in front of a whole church. Christ picked 12 men. One fell. Christ picked one more. There's 12 total apostles of the man, of the Lamb. Immediately following Christ's um, reference to the 12 apostles of the Lamb in the Re- book of Revelation, he curses any who would add to or take away from Scripture. The special endowment of power to the 12 for special signs, special wonders, and special revelation of Scripture is closed to additional applicants. Because you had to have been with Christ physically in order to have part of that apostleship. Do you hear me today? Is that clear? He said you had to start with Jesus in his baptism. Young man, how many people can go and go down to Jordan River and walk with Jesus for three and a half years today? None. All right, so this is basic. This is really simple and really basic. Because of that, because of the unique qualifications required to be an apostle of the Lamb, there are only 12 apostles of the Lamb. And those 12 apostles who were given special and unique power of revelation of the scriptures of God are limited to those 12 and they are and they cannot be added to but their gift is still operational how does the gift of the apostles apply today our 12 apostles still preach and teach every time a god called preacher gets up and reads from the book of romans Every time somebody gets up and preaches the epistle of Peter, you have the apostolic ministry of the apostle Peter being exercised in a church. And it is the most important part of that 12 apostle lamb apostolic ministry. And that is the revelation of scripture. So when a Mormon, I say, say this to my children, I've told them this. And when a Mormon says, my church has apostles, where are yours? I tell my child, my children, hold up your Bible. Because your Bible was given to you and carried forward, ratified, and made plain to be God's word by the apostles of the Lamb. Every book of the 66 books of the Bible is either ratified by, written by, or verified through the commandments and the doctrines of the apostles of the Lamb. And only those works which perfectly align themselves with the doctrines of the commandments of the apostles can be considered scripture. This isn't too complicated. This is how the Bible got canonized to begin with was through apostolic authority. Now these guys that run around claiming to be apostles are all of them that I've ever heard of trying to claim to be an apostle of the Lamb. They're trying to claim the unique authority, power, privilege of one of the twelve. And they're trying to lord it over God's flock to teach their own doctrines that fly in the face of the doctrines of the Lamb. And the Pope is no Um, is actually a great evidence of this. Every pope that ever lived has declared ex cathedra lies about God from his, his, 
his throne there in Vatican City. He sits up on his throne with his little orb of power, drunken with the blood of the martyrs and covered in the jewels and the gems that have been extorted from the poor for indulgences and escape from hell. And he preaches all kinds of lies about Jesus Christ and claims to do it as one of the with the authority of one of the 12. He's a liar. And it's really simple and really basic if you just understand basic biblical doctrine of apostleship. Now, these others like Barnabas, Silvanus, Timotheus, who followed in the footsteps ministerially in the scripture were also referred to in a couple places as apostles. By and large, the Bible uses the word apostles um, in reference to the 12, but there are some of these other references because the ministry of the apostles is not complete. The authority, the revelation of scripture, and the unique extreme signs and wonders that go beyond anything that have been seen anywhere else uh, um, were unique to those 12. But these other men that followed the 12 apostles carried forward under the authority of the 12 apostles the apostolic ministry that Christ has ordained to his church. Now here you guys are ready to shut me off. Just hear me out. Read your Bibles. Correct me if you can find clear scripture and actually consider the scriptures I'm sharing with you as well. Now, um, but these men, there are clear distinctions maintained between the 12 and men like Barnabas and Silvanus. These men, like the 70, can do all the gospel preaching ministry and they can do all of whatever signs and wonders God allows his church to do in general that anyone else can do. They have no special authority or special signs and wonders other than as regards their churches that God uses them to start. And you're saying, all right, just spit it out. What are these guys? Well, they're apostles, but they're not apostles of the Lamb. These guys have authority from God as long as they're filled with the Holy Ghost and in perfect harmony with the twelve, obeying their commandments and going under their commission. Go to Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, it says here, you can read this whole passage, you get the context, we're running out of time, where, um, how Jesus Christ gave gifts unto men. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's not happened yet. Um, we all are quick to say in fundamentalist circles, we're, I'm a work in progress. And thereby you are declaring with your own mouth, mouth that you have not come into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We've also not come to the unity of the faith as we have more fractions and, and schisms amongst fundamentalist circles than have possibly ever existed since Reformation days. It's pretty incredible uh, what a mess of division we're in as fundamentalists across this land of Bible believers. We can't agree with each other over anything hardly. And, so here, and yet we would try and claim here that part of these gifts that Christ said he would give until the church came to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ have ceased. And I say to you, that ain't Bible. And that's an anti-doctrine. 
Remember, we talked about anti-doctrines. That's an anti-doctrine. And the reason for that is a good reason. You see these false apostles with their lying signs and wonders, and you want to get rid of them. You want to prove that they're wrong. So we up and say, there are no more apostles at all. Well, the problem is we just crippled ourselves because Jesus said there would be until the church came to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it behooves us to find out what an apostle is in the Bible, which is what we're doing today. You have the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and then you have the other men who are sent out as the 70 were sent out who can also do mighty deeds in the name of Jesus Christ and these are what we eventually begin to call missionaries. Now the word missionary, if I understand it correctly comes from Roman Catholic priesthood stuff and Jesuits and they would go out to try and proselytize and uh, often force convert people to their system of theology instead of just going out to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Notice that the um, apostolic ministry is a ministry of being witnesses. Go back to Acts chapter 1. And these were, these were witnesses. That's the whole purpose of the apostles, to be witnesses of Christ. So the apostles who are just sent by God to witness of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in areas where the word of God is not preached, follow along this concept of, of apostles under the 12 apostles of the Lamb as long as they're obedient to them, such as Barnabas and Timotheus and Silvanus. And these would be true apostles of the Lamb. All true churches... <coughs> operate under the authority of the 12 apostles of the Lamb and Christ who sent them, but all church planting, so to speak, which is not a biblical word for churches. Um, you show me anywhere in the Bible that actually talks about churches being planted. I'd like to see it. Um, there may be something there I've missed, but churches are formed, churches are birthed, churches are built. Um, but in any case, this, um, this idea of building and forming churches, these ministries are apostolic ministries. Biblical apostolic ministry that is, is, first of all, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and it is limited to those 12. And secondly, it is the concept of going out into places where there are not churches... And as a servant in meekness and humbleness and labor and travail and fastings and watchings and persecutions and privations and all the difficulties attend that ministry, often with the support of other churches taking the gospel into those regions and laboring until there is an indigenous church, a church that is locally um, known and run where the people there now they have their own elders or pastors. He says ordain elders in every city. And those pastors that are now ordained to run, their, to run to operate those churches. And they are running. And they've been taught and led by a man who was sent from another Bible-believing church. Those churches are formed through apostolic ministry. This is biblical apostolic ministry. There's a great excitement that has gone through fundamentalist circles about church planning ministries. And I'm I'm glad of much of the work that has gone through um, those ministries. What they are trying to do whenever they say words like Pauline ministry, which is not biblical, but the idea 
is, is they are trying to operate under the authority and sending of the 12 apostles, not as superhero apostles running around doing signs and wonders and extorting people, but in the, in the same methods and the same means as the apostle Paul, seeing God build churches in far off places. And these are apostolic ministries. And it's a biblical apostolic ministry. Now, when I say the word apostolic ministry, most of you think of like an ambulance with the lights running with crosses painted all over it and a bunch of great big overweight guys piling out of the ambulance to lay hands on people and try and make them speak in tongues so they can baptize them in the name of Jesus only and get them to join their oneness cult. That's what you think of. I know that. I understand that. If you've been exposed to modern apostleship, that's what you're going to think. And the temptation then is to throw out the biblical word apostle and to replace it with other words that we come up with ourselves. And that's a bad temptation. That leads to anti-doctrines. And that leads to other errors that will creep in and have creeped in um, in order to try and avoid a perfectly biblical phrase of apostleship of apostles and of the apostolic ministry and apostolic commandments. This is what it means to have an apostolic ministry. And we have seen this throughout the years. We're going to close soon. I want to bring your attention to a couple, um, a couple godly modern apostles. One of them, his name was David Brainerd. David Brainerd went to the Native Americans um, in the 1700s, in the 1740s specifically. Look him up, read his diary, read his life, read the power that was on that man's life, and read his sacrifice and his travail as he prayed and preached himself into the grave to reach the Native American Indians. And he has been rightly called by saints throughout the ages as the apostle to the Native Americans. Do you realize it's only in the last 120 years that apostle has become a bad word in, this, in, in our religion? Do you hear me today? The word apostle was not considered a bad word. But recently we've made anti-doctrines to attack the very word apostle, which is foolish and hurtful to, um, hurtful to the church. Christ gave us apostles. Another apostle, um, if I understand his ministry right, if I haven't missed something about him, could have been Bakht Singh, B-A-K-H-T, I think it is, S-I-N-G-H. And you can look him up and his ministry in India. And there were and there's some different things about some of these guys, but the there's no doubt that the power of God attended them. Um, George Whitfield, in a way, operated with apostolic power, as did John Wesley, and their voice would carry over the over the fields of tens of thousands of people. It didn't make them super Christians, they still blew it. They still did things that were stupid. Um, there, what's that fight that George Whitfield and John Wesley got into over doctrine and they split ways and couldn't even get along? Listen to me today. We've got to get away from this false idea of modern apostles, but at the same time, we've got to get back to biblical apostleship. That's the goal here as we wrap it up. Look at me here today. Look at me here today. There are apostles. Apostles are a real thing. Apostles haven't ended, but they have limitations in the Bible. You have to know what, a, what an apostle is biblically. These guys that are running around, listen, listen, listen to me. Please bear with me a little bit in my folly. And let me, let me share something with you. If these guys running around faking it, claiming to be apostles, if you have to say there are no more apostles because of them, then what you are allowing them to do is validate that they are what those men used to be. I don't know if you got that. 
Did you get that? When you let a man, when a man says that he's an apostle and he does all of this, all these weird signs and wonders, extorts the people, he's a money grubber, he's a whoremonger, he's a liar, he's a pervert, he's a heretic, and he's running around claiming to be an apostle. And you say, well, there's no more apostles, so he can't be apostle. What that does in the mind of the ignorant and the illiterate is it validates that man and gives him a point of argument. Now, instead of the point of argument being that his fruit is wrong, and he's not biblical, and he's a heretic, and he's a liar, all of which can be proved from scripture now you've allowed the debate to be moved to whether or not there are apostles and that's an argument you're not going to win and it's a it's a foolish argument because it's not scripturally sound but if we'll go back to the bible and and take this whole point take the tack the bible takes and look at the true qualifications of apostleship and understand true apostles then we won't be bumfuzzled by the devil and by his minions and when the mormons show up and say you don't have apostles we'll say get on down the road We've got apostles. I've got the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You hold up your Bible and you say, we've got apostles. Our church has sent out apostles. And they go, what? Your church sends out apostles? Yeah, my church sends out apostles. We've got apostles in Uruguay. We've got apostles in Brazil. We've got apostles in Cambodia. And we've got apostles. And they're like, what? You've got apostles? Yeah, we've got apostles. And you just do it biblically and explain it biblically. And the argument's not even an argument anymore. And they've got no footing to stand on. And then the Pentecostal guy comes up to you and he says, you guys are only a half gospel church because you guys don't have apostles. And you say, no, we're a full gospel church. And they say, what? You you a full gospel church? You got apostles? You say, oh, yeah, we got apostles. They go, what? You got apostles and you say, yeah, I got 12 of them right here in my Bible that call you a liar. And I've got a whole bunch more that we send support to and pray to that are overseas trying to do what the apostle Paul said. Pray for, pray to, God help me. We've got all these apostles overseas. And now you guys, some of you guys listening online, you've already got chills running up and down your spine. Me just saying this, but it's biblical. It's not far out. And if we just get back to the Bible, it just eliminates all the hoodoo and all the voodoo and all the junk that goes along with it. We don't even have to have these stupid arguments. Do you hear me today? And then all of a sudden, there's a contrast. Listen to me. This is how Paul dealt with it. I know we're long. Lord have mercy, but we're not going to be done until we're done. This is how Paul dealt with the discussion. These guys were trying to tell the church at Corinth, we're apostles. Paul didn't say, I'm the last apostle. Did you notice that? He did not say that. Paul did not even tell them there are only 12. Do you hear me? Nowhere did any of the apostles say there's only 12. But that's in the Bible that there's only 12 apostles of the Lamb. It's in the book of Revelation. But none of the apostles said it. They never used that argument to try and shut down the false apostles. What did they do? They contrasted biblical apostleship with false apostleship. And that's what we should do. Instead of trying to make extra biblical doctrines and use our doctrines that we don't have a whole lot of clear scripture on to try and prove them wrong, let's show the world what true apostles are. 
because there's been many apostles in the true church of Jesus Christ going out two by two, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, not doing anything weird, not extorting the people, not perverting and being whoremongers and sleeping with the women that they get up on the stage with them. Do you hear me today? But following the doctrines of Christ and of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, preaching the word faithfully and carrying the gospel to far regions. And whenever we can stand up, when the church stands up, listen to me, when the church stands up and says, we've got true apostles, now there's a contrast. And now the world can look and say and see which one, and they have, then they have to make a decision, which one is the real apostle? Is it? God bless his memory, old dear Kenneth Cates down in Brazil, leading, leading Brazilian Amazonians to the Lord and starting through the grace of God 40 churches along the river where he labored and travailed and his body was depleted and he was depleted by dysentery and he drank the water like the people drank it right out of the river and he ate the food the people ate and he shared the gospel with them and when false prophets would come to town he'd show up in his little houseboat and his little rags of clothing and get out there amongst the people and labor and sweat and preach and pray until God ran off the false prophets and preserved the flock you that's an apostle now you got an apostle you got somebody following in the footsteps of the apostle Paul not claiming some kind of weird authority over pastors and some kind of right to lord it over the flock and collect money from everybody they meet that's the bunch of garbage so let's bring forward the true biblical apostleship that God has given to his church which is a special and it is a rare thing to find. We have many missionaries today who call themselves missionaries who operate as evangelists. We have other missionaries who operate as pastors, others that operate as teachers. And um, there's, there's just many different ones. And we haven't even looked at biblical prophecy today, but it's the same story, second verse. We've thrown out prophecy in our churches, but if we just get back to what the Bible says about prophecy, it eliminates the whole mess. We're not even going to touch it today. But um, I thank you for your patience with us. Lord, help us today to be biblical, to not care what people think or what they say, but just to be biblical, to stick with your Bible. We thank you, Lord, for this big subject. Lord, I pray that people's hearts would be stirred to study it out for themselves. And Lord, that we wouldn't have a bunch of schisms and doubtful disputations over this thing. But Lord, that we'd be able to just get back to the Bible. We love you today in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen.